27 countries. Listen to this broadcast. I know it has to be technical difficulties the last couple of weeks. We appreciate you guys being patient with us and prayers for us. I know we had a little trouble with the sound last week, but I think we've got that fixed this week. So this morning, uh, Pastor Philip brought Twitter, and I scanned the photo before Pastor Joseph came. We're sitting right down in front. Brother Bradshaw, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for the message of the resurrection last week and for the message that God's got on your heart for us this morning. If you will, bow your heads with me and we'll ask God to, to bless what may be our prayer this morning. Sweet, ever to be adored, Lord Jesus. Father, we pray that you would open our hearts to hear what you've laid on the back of your heart for us this morning. We thank you for our pastor Kozo. We thank you for bringing realness to his body. We thank you for this church. Father, we thank you for those who are watching us via internet this morning. We could be a, be a message, be a ministry to embrace that as we can. Bless the time that we have together this morning. Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you be seated, please? Which I've never been before. Though sad goodbyes will there be spoken, for time won't matter anymore.
Thank you for that, my brother. I love that song. Really loud. Getting kind of homesick for a place I've never been. Yes, I am. Powerful. Psalm 22. right now. <laughs> Lessons for the saints from the cross of the Savior. Sometimes preaching through texts and outlines, like, oh, oh, I should have named that this, or maybe this, you know, or you, things pop up and from the living Word of God. That's, that's the experience we have. What a treasure to study and turn with the living in the hospital in North Tehachapi. Well, before, yeah, long time before that. But Dr. Uh, Dr. Jones was the chief of staff there, and Ed was in the hospital for several weeks. And he and I became well acquainted, and I would sit in his office and talk with him. He was telling me about sort of medical technology, and of course, how rapid then it was transmitted, and back then. Communal way, I have to spend all of my spare time studying just to keep up with the technology and its advancements. I said, "Oh, Doctor Jones, that's a wonderful thing about my field, because the technology is not changing, but the study built upon the study built upon the study of the everlasting Word of God, and it's all true and never changes and never changes." I'm glad we're in this field, Pastor. You know, we're trying to study to keep up. We're just trying to study to get under the authority of the Word of God. Psalms chapter 22. We'll read 1 through 11. Found me another pair of readers. <laughs> my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring or my lamentation? O oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season that I'm not silent. <coughs> but thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted that thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee and were delivered, they trusted in thee and were not confounded. But I am a worm and no man. A reproach of men, despised of the people. All that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighteth in him. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon thee from the womb. And thou art my God from my mother's bed. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there's none to help. And then the verse 23. You that fear the Lord, praise him. All ye the seed of Jacob, glorify him, and fear him, all the seed of Israel. For he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor hath he hid his face from him. But when he cried unto him, he heard, My praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. I will pay my vows before them that fear him. The meek shall eat and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord that seek him. Your heart shall live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord. And all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee. For the kingdom is the Lord. And he is the governor among the nations. Let's pray for a moment. <coughs> Holy Father, we love you. And we thank you and praise you, Father, that you are Lord and our God. Oh, you 
thank you, Father, for the sure, unchanging truth of thy holy word. Thank you, Master, for preserving us for our instruction down to the basis. Lord, today you surrender our hearts and minds to thee. Lord, wear me like a garment and, and feed us from the holy manna of thy word. May it be for your honor, for your praise, for your glory, Father, and for our good in Christ Jesus and in instruction in how we should live the word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. <coughs> you know that. Now, I'm looking <coughs> forward to that, and I have some rest of the rock besides the head. <coughs> so we're looking at, and we've read the poetic lines of Psalm 22, and which are not just poetic lines, they're also prophetic lines, very much prophetic lines, because they point to an experience that was not the experience of David any time in his life. It points to a crucifixion. And it details the agonies of a crucifixion before crucifixion was probably never ever heard of. Crucifixion was the, you know, the mentality, the brutality of the Romans. And so here is this clear delineation of the agonies of being crucified from this Psalm 22, written a thousand years before it actually happened, just as prophesied. And not only details the crucifixion. But it's a, it talks about the future, the beginning of the church. You'll find it there. We won't look at all these verses today, but it's there. The beginning of the church, the coming return of the Lord, uh, his rule among all the nations. It's all here in this psalm. And the redemption of the saints from every tribe, tongue, and kindred. All nations shall come and bow before him. It's all in this psalm. This will include the Jews. faith in Christ Jesus. But it won't happen until there is a special work in the Jews. That's what it took for you. That's what it took for me. That's what it took for all those Jews who will yet come to saving faith in Messiah. Zechariah 12.10 says to that, I will pour upon the house of David, upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and of supplication and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn as one mourneth for an only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. Speaking of the Lord pouring out a spirit of grace and supplication on the Jews, and in that future day they will come and number who faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's remember, no one, this day or then, or past, no one comes to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ without divine help. You just don't do that. You know, we've, you've heard this song, I have decided to follow Jesus, though no one did. That's a good thing, to decide to follow Jesus, okay? But then the real question behind it, why did you decide to follow Jesus in the first place and a guy across the street didn't, or the lady at the market didn't? Yeah. Why? There's a reason. No one comes to believe in Christ Jesus without divine help. Jesus said, John 6, 44, no man, woman, boy, or girl. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. And the glory of that is the last part of the verse. And those that are drawn, I'm going to raise them up at the last day. Glory to God. If you've been drawn, you're going on the last day because the Lord's going to draw you up by his sovereign hand. So, before the new birth, Everyone is spiritually dead. And you know what's dead? It stays dead. Apart from outside intervention. There's got to be something. You have a person that codes medically. That means their heart's not beating. That means they're not breathing. They're clinically dead. You've got six to ten minutes, depending on temperature. Six to ten minutes to resuscitate that person. 
they're not going to resuscitate themselves. You've got to do something from the outside. That's what a spiritually dead person requires, something from the outside. No one comes to the Father except the Father draws them unto himself. John 6, 65, Jesus speaking again. Therefore I said unto you, no man can come unto me except it were given to him by the Father. So you can't come to Christ unless it's been given to you by the Father. You can't come to Christ unless he acts upon you and draws you to his Son. Salvation is of the Lord, right? Salvation is of the Lord. Of course, that's one of the key doctrines uh, in this uh, blessed in some circles, cursed in others, doctrine of election. It's not very popular out there <laughs> in a lot of places. But it is the truth of the scriptures, the doctrine of election. Before the foundation of the earth, chosen in him. Those that are chosen are ultimately drawn. Those that are drawn, why? Because they're given. And they're given to Christ and to Christ. But it wasn't popular then. After 65, where Jesus said, Therefore I said unto you, No man can come to me except it were given him by the Father. The very next verse, John 666 says, From that moment on, so many, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. It wasn't popular then, not popular now, but it's still true, and it always will be. Again, Zechariah 12.10, They will look upon me whom they have pierced and mourn. You know what that is? That is an example through the lens of Scripture, a picture of what godly sorrow is. Corinthians chapter 7 verse 10. Godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world works death. So there's two kinds of sorrow out here in our life experience. There's the sorrow of the world. Oh goodness, I wish I hadn't done this or that. Nobody knows I did this. This is embarrassing. This may cost me my job. This may cost me my family. This may, what, what, whatever. It's consequential, right? My goodness. That's the sorrow of the world. Godly sorrow. Oh, by the way, worldly. Worldly sorrow can be a sorrow unto repentance in one way, right? Because as soon as they get through the tight spot, they're they've turned around now, they're no longer, repentance means to turn around, right? So they were terribly sorry about that. But they got through that tight spot, so gosh, I think I'll try that again. That was sure fun. That's worldly sorrow. Godly sorrow, it says, works repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. In other words, when you come to godly sorrow, that's when you realize, I am a sinner. I have sinned against the holy God. I am undone on the inside. There's something I need, and it's not of me. All of that stuff that begins to work in your life, however it might have been might, how you might articulate it based on your personal experience, but it's a work of grace. God drawing you and convicting you of sin. And you know what? It's not to be repented of. When you cross that divine bridge, that solid grace hits your soul, and you come to faith in Christ, you know what? You never say, no, nah, I'm going to go back to that old world again. If you ever felt that? Since you made your profession of faith, since you were baptized and all that, and signed that little card and joined the church, have, is there one of you here that's ever wanted to go back to your former life? Because if you are thinking that, Pastor Danner, I need to talk with you. Because you haven't yet been saved. And I'm no one's judge. I have enough time. I'm too busy trying to judge myself. I don't have time to judge you. But the word of God would say that you've never tasted saving grace. Because you just don't repent of that. You just never get tired of that. The joy of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ in your soul. So what's the difference? The sorrow of the world is what? Sorrow because of consequence. 
Godly sorrow is sorrow because of conviction. And that is the difference with the material. And of course, you know, the question is, you know, this tells us that we make sure our own salvation. Every time we look at these verses, I will hear it taught or preached. It's a good time to think again. Hey, can you, can I go back to a time in my personal history where I experienced godly sorrow? Can I go back to and pinpoint a time in my personal history where I wanted to be saved? I wanted to be cleansed from sin. I wanted to be right with the Lord. I wanted to surrender my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you get a time that you can go back to? Have I? Again, ladies and gentlemen, if we can't go back to a time in personal history like that, you know what that means? We never had that time in our personal history. And we're still, still outside of Christ. And I've had, and I'm sure the pastor has too. I've had people through years, and they said, oh, well, I've always been a Christian. No, you had no. <laughs> you would know else. There's a point in time when we are birthed. Nicodemus, a very religious man. Jesus said, Nick, you'll never see or enter the kingdom of God unless you're born again. True of all of us, God to be born again. Well, Psalm 22, poetic, certainly, prophetic, definitely, as well. Um, it's, it's so interesting, really, when you look at, at the Word of God, you think, well, oh, people say, well, just man wrote that thing. That's insidious. How could something written a thousand years before an event happen? And there were crucifixions during the Roman, you know, era because they were put on each side of the Lord Jesus Christ. But in the Gospels, you'll note that they don't go into all the gory details of the agonies. You know why that's so? Because the people contemporary to that age knew it. They had seen it time and time again outside the city, the Roman officials or whatever. They knew what crucifixion was like. And here, a thousand years before the event, they're telling you all the details the Spirit of God through the psalmist, the, the agony of the cross, which, of course, pointed to the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus. But, having said all that, it contains valuable lessons when you think about the cross and what it meant to the Lord Jesus Christ and what it means to us and his experience on planet Earth. There's a lot of lessons to be had. We can only touch a few, just a couple of examples lessons for us from the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lessons from us for, from his experience, how he was treated while he was on planet Earth. So we look at the scriptures and see what we can discern there. First of all is this. Living the truth of God living the truth of God will at the very least bring persecution to you and to me. Living the truth of God will at the very least bring persecution to you and to me and maybe even death. It still does occasionally. Does it not? The Lord Jesus was persecuted for who he was. Simple. They told, he told them who he was. They asked who he was. They crucified him because he said who he was. They hated him for it. John chapter 22, 26 through 71. As soon as it was day, the elders of the people, the chief priests, scribes came together, led him into the uh, <coughs> council saying, Art thou the Christ? Tell us. He said to them, if I tell you, you wouldn't believe me. And if I ask you, you will not answer me, nor let me go. If you after the Son of Man, you will see the Son of Man sit on the right hand of power, in God, uh, right hand of God in power. And they said all, art thou then the Son of God? He said, you say that I am. And they said, do we need to hear further? We've heard him with our own ears. Crucify him. Blasphemy. Despised because of who he was. 
It's an interesting thing I saw on uh, foxnews.com a couple of weeks ago. This lovely lady in Arizona on a particular school board was commenting about the, their need to exercise caution when they selected for more council members to the board. What were her words of caution? She said, we need to avoid Christians so we have people of like mind with us. Persecution is going on now because of who we are. This Canadian pastor, how many times have you been in jail now? Yeah. Staying against drag queens or whatever you call those things. Some fellow in the UK has been arrested. You know what he's doing? The guy in the UK was standing across the street from an abortion clinic silently praying. And he was arrested for that. In fact, persecuted because of who he was. And ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be persecuted because of who we are if they know who we are. Clearly and distinctly. You know. And I want to tell you something. God hasn't called any secret service Christians. Sometimes I wish I could have been one of them. In John chapter 5, 14 through 18, persecuted because of what he did. What did he do? He healed a paralytic man. Now, I want to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. I know this about you. I certainly know it about me. If we were downtown in South Broadway or the mall or someplace, and here was a paralytic person, and some person came up, he didn't care what stripe he was, you know, what church he was a member of. He walked over and prayed over this brother, and this guy jumped out of his wheelchair and started running down the mall. We wouldn't go after that guy, would we, that prayed over him? We might follow the guy running to see where all he was going to go. But they persecuted Christ because of what he said. Behold, Jesus said to him, you're made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto you. The man departed, told the Jews that it was Jesus that made him whole. And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him. Because he did that abominable deed on the Sabbath. He also said that God was his father. And we shouldn't have done that either. Persecuted because of who he was. Persecuted because of what he did. And of course the good news is this. If we're easily identifiable as disciples, Jesus said, I have spoken these things to you and that in you might have peace when, when he says, you know, you might have peace, he's not saying that, you know, when you're sitting at home in your den, you might have peace. When you're out on the veranda, you might have peace. No, he's, this is a contextual peace. You might have peace because in this world, you're going to have tribulation. But I have overcome the world. So close to identification with the Lord Jesus Christ as a disciple will result in persecution of some sort. Could even cost your life someday. Fast forward and will again. Sum it up. Wait one more thing. It's this. If you are never experiencing any kind of persecution, it may be because... No one knows that you're a Christian but you. There is no way that Satan is going to leave you alone if you're seeking to stand firm according to the word of God. Let me tell you something. That's true. Some people have said to me, oh, well, you know, I, I don't believe in Satan. Christian, I'm a whatever, but I just don't believe in Satan, or I don't believe in a personal devil attacking, or none of that. You know what they did, and I'm again, I'm no one judge, but you know what they did, really? 
They just told me they weren't saved. Or at least no one knew that they were saved. Am I being judgmental and, and unkind? No, I'm not, that's not my intent, ladies and gentlemen. But I want to tell you something. If you're going to openly and publicly serve the Lord Jesus Christ with your life, Satan is never going to leave you alone because he hates Christ. He hates you because of Christ, isn't he? You're not going to escape. My old pastor buddy is living up in Dallas. He pastored out for years. You know, the pastor's kids only act up on Wednesday night and Saturday night. That's the most turbulent times in a pastor's home. And glory to the living God on Sunday morning, I'd get up and get out of the house and let the waiters get them out the door to church. Because I had two services there preach. I'd go early. You know something? And I'm, I'm not just being probably funny. I'm, I'm serious with you. I remember a time that I'd had a busy week, but I was prepared and I was Saturday evening, and I had two services to preach the next morning. You know, it had been kind of a calm week, and I hadn't had any, you know, hadn't had any satanic attacks. Just smooth and chill for all week. It's something I, I just didn't feel, I'd been praying for the Lord, I just didn't feel, I don't, I don't know, something wasn't right. And all of a sudden, one of my kids, my teenage kids got cross-eyed. Saturday evening. And this particular, I remember going back in and praying. I said, Lord, I thank you for that sign from the devil. And I thank you for your power and anointing in the morning. It happens. I was walking down the center aisle in the church where I was preaching the revival meeting and I just went down like that you know if I'm going down like that and I see something rolling in front of me it's a button off my coat I can go on and on and Satan is not going to leave us alone if we are going to serve the Lord Jesus Christ with our lives again, if you've not experienced any kind of persecution, if you're not experiencing persecution of any kind, you never have. I'm not saying every week necessarily. <laughs> I don't know what you're doing, I guess, but, but if you're not experiencing any kind of persecution, it may well be time to look in the mirror of the Word of God and check up on your lifestyle. Because if your lifestyle is not causing Satan any aggravation, he's not going to bother you so much. Could be that your godliness is not showing. Or it could be that you're still lost and you've never been saved. Living for Jesus, openly and publicly. Secondly, though, God's silence during our personal tough times does not mean that we are alone in the storm. It doesn't mean that. I mean, you've been there, I've been there. <laughs> I just said, God, why is this hard? This is breaking my heart. I'm, I'm filled with grief. Don't ever think that you're alone in that valley, and you're not. Look at this psalm here, Psalm 23. Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, and thou hearest not, and in the night seasons am, am not silent. But notice verse 3. But thou art holy. And what was that? A statement of faith from a kid? The war is not over. He's in a mess. I'm crying day and night. But, but. Thou art holy. 
thou art God. In spite of this mess I'm in, this agony, this pain, this suffering, this breathing, thou art God. Statement of faith from the pit. Best thing we can do is to follow that example. Because tough times, sad times, difficult times comes, come to us all. And then in 24, he is not, uh, 20, Psalm 22, 24. He is not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. Neither hath he hid his face from him, but when he cried unto him, he heard. Now think about those lines. He's in affliction. He's crying day and night. The heavens are silent. God is not answering. But notice, even though in the silence of God toward you during those times, he has not hid his face from you. He knows where you are. He knows what you're suffering. But when he cried unto him, he heard. He heard you crying from that pit. He heard you crying from that agony, from that physical affliction of the heart grieving. He heard. He says, be silent. He's not turned your back, his back on you at all. In the contrast, 1 John 5, 14, this is our confidence we have in him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Get that. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Oh, that means I'm going to get what I want? Not necessarily. It means you're going to get what's best for you and best for me. This is our confidence. If we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions and desires of him. Now, why did the psalmist feel abandoned? Lord Jesus Christ felt abandoned. Oh God, oh God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why have you felt that way? Well, Thomas got miracle follow. I'm not asking my prayer. Because, ladies and gentlemen, that prayer for deliverance from the storm was not according to the will of God at that moment. Okay? That prayer for deliverance from the storm was not according to the will of God at that moment. He heard you. His back is not turned on you. You're never abandoned when you're in Christ Jesus the Lord. But answering that prayer for deliverance was not God's perfect will for you at that time. He had a greater purpose. A greater purpose in the Lord Jesus Christ, a greater purpose in you and I, and for the psalmist, than immediate temporal deliverance. He had an eternal purpose that he was working out through that. And that's the truth of the psalmist, the Lord Jesus Christ, all the saints that follow all down through the ages. Those moments where we're in the pit and we're thinking, Lord, where are you for goodness sake? He hasn't abandoned us, but he has a purpose in that. We're enduring, and this is hard to swallow sometimes when the pain is really tough. But here's the truth about that sovereign, omniscient God, our Father whom we serve. Nothing can come to us except what he Persecution, affliction of the flesh that God allows to come for us, to us, are not designed by the Father to sink us, but are designed by the Father's sovereign hand to sanctify us, to grow us in grace. God uses what he allows. Isn't there something really high when you're Lord, where are you? For goodness sake, Lord, answer me. I have prayed and prayed and prayed. And you're silent on this issue. What's going on, Lord? You know something? It might be during that very time of his silence that we perceive there's something going on of much more import that we don't perceive. And that is this. 
He may be doing an incredible work of grace in our lives at that very time through that suffering, conforming us to the image of his son. You know, you can't get there just by working out at the gym. <laughs> you know, it takes the work in us to subdue the flesh in us, to cause us to grow in grace to us. So it may well be at that very most difficult moment with all that suffering Immediate deliverance didn't come. God is doing that work of grace that brings eternal blessing to us and through our lives to others. Thou art holy, God. I don't like this. This is, Lord, I feel like it's just killing me. I'm broken to pieces. But thou art God. 1 Peter 4.19 says, Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God. I've met some people who didn't know that was in the scripture. <laughs> Why? Oh, God never wants you to be sick. God never wants you to be broke. You know, God never wants you to be unpopular. No. Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit their souls, the keeping of their souls to him, and well-doing, suffering and well-doing. Wow. The Lord's in that, isn't he? As unto a faithful creator. So God is faithful. In times of affliction, focus on the faithfulness of God. Something else we can do. We can focus on past history of people before us, Christians before us, and Christians around us. We can focus on what God has done in faithfulness for those people. It's what the psalmist did. Our fathers trusted in thee. They trusted. You delivered them. They cried unto you, and they were delivered. And they were confounded. Focus on past history. And then focus on your own personal history. You know, it's wonderful to be a new Christian. Remember that? Boy, you're excited. You've just been saved. And boy, but you know something? That's not the best. The best is yet to be. Because you have to have some good personal history with the Lord to grow in faith. And as you go through the trenches, and find him delivering you and directing you through all this maze of living on this planet. You grow in faith. And it's more delightful today than it was the day you were a newborn. Because you know him. And you know what? Experientially, you know the power of his resurrection in your life personally. So focus on the history around you, but focus on your own personal history. Well, Lord, this is the mess I'm in now, but I remember what you did two years ago. There, and therefore I trust in thee today in this event. And I don't know what you're doing, Lord. I'll leave that with you. But I guarantee you one thing, you're doing something. Remember Joseph was a prisoner, lied about, mistreated, abused. No, he had a terrible past experientially, did he not? I think it became number two in Pharaoh's kingdom. One other thing, you know, you can be sure of, you can know what God's doing in your life and those difficult times when you feel abandoned, so forth and so on. Romans 8, 28. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. And that confirmation, conformation to his son may be going on in you at the most rapid pace in experiencing your most difficult time, okay? In the most difficult time of your life, when you, it's hard, but you're surrendering to the Lord and say, Lord, this is a mess, but thou art God. God may be expediting confirmation, confirmation to Christ in you, conforming the character of Christ in you. Maybe during this time for divine favor. You know something, divine favor doesn't have to feel good. 
from a human perspective, oh yeah, boy, the Lord's just blessing me and I'm feeling so good. Well, that's certainly a part of favor, God's favor on us that we have good health and feel good sometimes, most of the time, whatever. But divine favor doesn't mean that we have to feel good or it doesn't qualify as divine favor. Divine favor is a sovereign father working in our lives to perform his will in us to conform us to the image of his son. So when we get home, we're like Jesus. Another question. Are you, am I, willing to suffer for others to be conformed to Christ? I don't know, Lord. Depends on how much confirmation they need over there. <laughs> Boy. That's what the cross is all about. He who knew no sin, dying for us who know sin, willing to suffer for others. And Jesus said, if any man come after me, let him deny himself and take up the cross and follow me. I was preaching a meeting up, meeting up in Sherman, Sherman, Texas, many years ago. And at the end of the one of the fellow about 35, 40 came up, and I could tell from looking at his face, his countenance, that the Lord was dealing with him. I was just in there and waiting, he came up, and he came up to me with the most earnest, sincere look on his face. He said, Brother Ray, I was talking about taking up the cross, that being part of the message. He said, Brother Ray, how often do I need to take up that cross? up that cross only on the days that you want to follow Jesus. He said, oh! Oh! And I thought, my goodness, yes. You know, I, he was he was sincere, and I wasn't trying to be funny with him. I just, hey, if you want to follow Jesus, take his cross. Don't leave the house without it. That's what Jesus said. I'd love to see him today. I don't know how that turned out. Another question is this. Are we being short-sighted? We feel like, okay, I got it, Ray. The Lord, in my suffering, the Lord is working in me, and he's conforming me to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, and so I got to endure this. That's my cross to bear to get like Christ, or whatever you might think about that. But are we being short-sighted and we think it's just for us? Because it's not. God's work in you is not just for you. You may just might be saying, well, I'll tell you what, I wish he worked more with my husband. <laughs> but it's not just for you either, dear. 2 Corinthians, and I won't turn there if you want. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 7. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort for which we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the effectual enduring for the sake of suffering. So we also, whether we suffer or whether we be comforted, is for your comfort, consolation, and salvation, and our hope of steadfast of you, and so forth. What do you think of that? First part of verse 6. If we are afflicted, it's effectual in the enduring of sufferings, the same sufferings in you. Well, what is that about? That's them watching us suffer through this. And so when they're afflicted with this, they remember the past history of us suffering through it, and it's effectual in helping them suffer through it. If we are comforted, it's for your comfort and salvation. They're going through this. We went through it last year. And they're comforted, reflecting on how we were comforted, and they're growing in faith in Christ as well. Our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, which we all are going to be, so shall we also be of the consolation. So we're not in this world alone. 
My brothers and sisters are here. Sometimes we may be called to suffer according to the will of God for the sake of others. But I know. But if you're experiencing persecution, rejoice. It's a sure sign the devil can't stand you. That's one thing. There's another thing that's more far more important. It means to belong to Jesus. It means you're on the road home. You're going to have tribulation, Jesus said. But we're on the road home. There's going to be sickness and suffering. People don't like us. People despise us because of what we teach or preach or whatever. Or just because, you know, darkness hates light. Have you ever had that experience when there's some people you go walk over and they just don't, they just drift away from you? Praise God if that happens to you because it means the light's still in you. And the light of the glory of the Lord needs to show in you and I to where people see it. And if it turns them off and they scoot, okay. God hasn't called us to be popular. He's called us to be faithful. And ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you, we're a mess in this nation. And more than ever before, in my personal history on this planet, I believe the lights of glory need to shine through the, the Lord Jesus Christ's church throughout this land. And the Spirit of God fall on this place. And I pray He will. But in the meantime, Go out and enjoy affliction and persecution for the glory of God until he calls you home. And it's not all bad. We have some good times too, don't we? Let's pray together. Lord, there's no one like you. And we're grateful for that. And Lord, all this orchestration of the galaxies, the universe, the planet, all the Seasons, all this stuff. What an amazing thing that you took note of us individually, elected us to be adopted into your family through the Lord Jesus Christ. What an amazing thing. And we praise you, Father. We're humbled by it. And Lord, we want, we want to walk in thee. We want to take our cross daily denying ourselves and serve thee with our lives. God, help us be faithful all the way home. In Jesus' name, amen.